Blighty Thank God is based on the diary our family discovered my late father, Ron Chapman, wrote in 1943 when he was a young RAF pilot serving in the Middle East and Italy. In this grave hour... I'm Neil Chapman and a former journalist. The podcast highlights the stories I uncovered when I researched his diary, along with other historical sources. Run, rabbit, run, rabbit, run, run, run. run, At the back of my father's logbook, there's a list of the aircraft types and variations he was trained to fly. Amongst the 26 planes, there is no mention of a Bisley aircraft. But he did fly one, one time. On January 8, 1943, he delivered it to 454 Squadron, an Australian squadron. They were being re-equipped with Bristol Blenheim Mark Vs, or Bisleys as they were known, and reassigned to carry out maritime patrols over the Mediterranean Sea. My father also ferried some of the squadron pilots in a Lodestar aircraft from RAF Shuiba in southern Iraq to their new base in Egypt. However, he wasn't impressed with the flying of some of 454's pilots, as revealed by granddaughter Maeve. Monday, January 11th. We heard weather was shitty and liable to get worse, and we were to stop at Shweba. Bit of dust haze, but okay. It is a change to fly in a decent machine. Had to pick up some of 454 squadron who had taken Bisley's lair. They had flown in formation, each plane a full crew, the dim twats. Just weeks earlier, 11 Bisleys had flown in formation over Tunisia. They were jumped on by German fighters. All were shot down. Originally designed as a heavily armoured ground attack aircraft, by the time the Bisley entered service in 1942, it was hopelessly underpowered and outclassed by enemy aircraft it came up against. Pilots who flew them dubbed it the Grizzly Bisley. Some of the aircraft my father flew during 1943 looked as if they were from World War I, with open cockpits, double wings and fixed undercarriages. It reflects a general sense that during World War II, the Middle East theatre was a forgotten one in terms of the RAF. Throughout my father's diary, Bisley aircraft feature, usually as a result of one of them crashing or force landing. In my research, I came across at least four airmen killed in two separate crashes and a temporary grounding of the Bisley that had fatal consequences too. Another episode of Blighty Thank God, called A New Ghoulie Chit, looks at the two downed Bisleys my father helped to salvage, one on a small island off Saudi Arabia called Gina and another in Sheenus, Oman. The planes both belonged to Sharjah-based 244 Squadron that carried out anti-submarine and convoy protection patrols in the Arabian Gulf and Gulf of Oman. The squadron was supported by a communications flight at RAF Habania, where my father was based. Here's what he wrote when the engineer fitters he flew to Gina Island first assessed the damage to Bisley BA-408 that had force-landed there. Sunday, April 4th. 
Got up 7.30. Went to Drome and took off for Gina 125. Had a bit of Drome to spare. Bisley has eight Duff cylinders port and four starboard. A month later, the Duff, or broken cylinders, were fixed enough so the plane could take off. Belching smoke from one engine, it finally force landed again a short time later in Kuwait. It's evidence that the Bisley suffered from engine problems. According to the 244 Squadron Commander, Wing Commander Ronnie Rotherham, his squadron was used as a dump for unwanted equipment. And when his squadron's Blenheim Mark IVs were replaced with Mark Vs, Bisleys, they were already suffering from engine corrosion. Here's Ronnie Rotherham, long after the war, giving his verdict on the Bisley aircraft. But the Blenheim V was an appalling aeroplane. There's no other way of describing it. They put a large power turret in, wind, armoured windscreens, more armour plate, and same engine. So it flew like, flew like, well, it only just flew. During the course of the year I had them, I lost 19 of them through engine failures and crashes. Not many crew. I only lost a couple of crews, but the rest managed to make it safely to shore and uh, crashed. While his description of losing crews is very matter-of-fact, for the pilots and crew, flying in a Bisley could be a terrifying experience. Here's how Wing Commander Tony Dudgeon described piloting one in his book Wings Over North Africa. An operational Bisley was, to my mind, a detestable flying device. You had to keep your wits about you, for it had several foibles. Perhaps the worst one was that there was so much weight in armour plate, guns and rear turret, that its beefed-up engines barely got it off the ground on a hot day. For example, the engine cooling shutters had always to be open on the ground to avoid overheating. Omitting to close them as you began your take-up run would cause you to race still on the ground off the far end of the airfield. This resulted in a sheet of flame, a great roar, and a dirty black mushroom cloud of exploding petrol. End of one airplane and its crew. Not kindly and forgiving. No wonder it became known among my colleagues as the Grizzly Bisley. Keeping the Bisley airworthy was extremely difficult. Engine changes were needed every 120 hours of flying. Still, aircraft suffered engine failures. Given how despised the Bisley was, it's surprising my father had to expend so much effort into rescuing two of them that had crashed in remote areas. Here's just some of the frustrations my father describes about the job of flying between Sharjah and Sheenas in Oman to supply the RAF fitters fixing up Bisley Number 2 that had lost its propeller. Tuesday, May 25th. At Sheenas, they haven't moved kite, bridge ditch, touched up engine, tried other engine. All they've done is ate and slept, not one thing more. This Shinnis business is getting my goat. The plane will obviously corrode, and the mob there under that stupid bloody corporal are useless. I can see us doing a hot season here. Clearly, uppermost in his mind, was the prospect of enduring a hot season based at Sharjah, where summer temperatures can reach 120 degrees Fahrenheit, or 48 degrees centigrade.
but 244 Squadron's work was vital. In 1943, what was known as the Persian Corridor, a supply route that included southern Iraq and Iran, was in full swing. Tons of equipment and material were arriving, much of it destined for Russia via Iran, the quickest route into southern Russia and the key city of Stalingrad, which was under an intense siege from the Germans. The amount of supplies the United States armed Russia with is staggering. Nearly 200,000 trucks, thousands of aircraft, combat vehicles, tanks, weapons, ammunition and petroleum products. It was enough to maintain an estimated 60 combat divisions. Now, in contrast, Germany entered World War II with 36 divisions in total. Leaving southern Iraq and Iran were fuel supplies destined for India and Asia. The fuel tankers were prime prey for both German and Japanese submarines. By 1943... 90% of production from the huge Abadan refinery complex in southern Iran was focused on supplying the RAF with power-boosting 100-octane petrol. Having 100-octane petrol was an advantage over the German Luftwaffe that RAF chief Arthur Tedder felt made a key difference in the Battle of Britain. Meanwhile, in Sharjah, Wing Commander Rotherham came up with a plan to overcome some of the dangerous issues with the Bisley aircraft. I got so fed up with this that I got my engineer officer to take out all the armour plates, take out all the turrets, put a few sandbags in the back, and made almost a reasonable aeroplane to fly then. And I put this up to my headquarters at Habanier, and they uh, modified all the blenders that we had so that providing the engines kept moving and turning, you could fly very nicely in them, because we were only chasing submarines. Wing Commander Rotherham had to act in light of a number of incidents in May and June of 1943. Within days of each other, the undercarriages of two Bisleys collapsed as they were readying for takeoff. Thankfully, none of the crews was injured. But Rotherham ordered all the undercarriages to be inspected. As this was happening, my father described some of the privations of being based at Sharjah, problems with the Bisley repairs, but also the arrival of a VIP, the RAF's chief engineering officer for the region, Wing Commander Tom Fitton. Thursday, May 27th. Woke 5.30am and had chai, then over for Brecker. Had one good egg out of four. Wind and dust blowing, everything in billet covered with layer of dust. Saw Buchanan and he is muck-arsing about. So we go on Saturday as he is getting some steel mesh to prevent that Bisley from sinking in the mud. Wing Commander Fitton came down. Fitton's arrival signalled that problems with the Bisleys were getting attention higher up in the RAF. Days after the undercarriage incidents, three other planes suffered engine failures. Rotherham and Fitton agreed to ground all the squadron's Bisleys to carry out a full investigation. 244 Squadron was now out of action. At the same time, supply convoys had no air cover and there were no anti-submarine patrols. As bad luck would have it, a Japanese submarine, I-27, had managed to sneak into the Arabian Gulf. It torpedoed the unescorted US vessel SS Montanan, 
with over 60 people on board. The ship went down within eight minutes, failing to send off a distress signal. As a result, no one was aware of the vessel's loss and no planes looking for survivors. Five men were killed, 58 rescued, but only after drifting at sea in lifeboats for many days before being picked up. By mid-July, two 4-4 squadrons Bisleys were back in operation, but there was yet another tragedy. Three men lost their lives when BA-500 hit the ground landing at RAF Mazira, an island off Oman that 244 Squadron used as a forward base. The plane burst into flames. Killed were pilot Flight Sergeant Don Nash, 22 years old, from Basingstoke, England, Navigator Flight Sergeant George Keir, 33, from Montrose, Scotland, and wireless operator Flight Sergeant Montrose Sublet, 28, from Maylands, Western Australia. Wing Commander Rotherham had been placed in an unenviable position. He knew how critical it was for his squadron's planes to resume their patrols as quickly as possible. It turns out the head of the RAF in the region, Air Chief Marshal Arthur Tedder, was aware of the Bisley's failings. He bumped into a group of 244 Squadron members on leave in Tehran. Tedder asked them how the clapped-out Blenheim 4s were getting along. He gave them a heads-up that they were soon to receive Mark V replacements, Bisleys. But when the men reacted positively, Tedder warned them not to get too excited. So when the Bisleys arrived, the men realised why. 244 Squadron finally got rid of their Bisleys in early 1944, switching them out for Wellington 13s. Now, they were a very nice aeroplane, and uh, we could stay up for about 11 hours in them. We had all, all sorts of aids to get us home in bad weather. A great relief to be re-equipped with them. But there was one Bisley success Rotherham and his men enjoyed actually got one submarine in the Gulf of Oman um, in 1944. Can you describe how it was got? Yes, it was uh, this submarine had come out from Lorient all the way around Africa, refuelled in Mozambique, had sunk some ships in the Indian Ocean and was coming up the, the Arabian Sea and uh, my one of my sergeant pilots who had just arrived in the squadron found it on the surface with them all sunbathing. They had no idea there were any aircraft within sight or hearing and he kept his head, did a good bombing run and sank it and we got prisoners out of it. How did the pri you get the prisoners? Well, they were picked up by uh, Arabs who they were in fear of their life because the Arabs around there have a bad habit of doing nasty things to you when they pick you up so when we got them and uh, took them over they they talked and talked and talked you couldn't stop talking so we got every bit of information we wanted out of nervousness? just relief to be <laughs> safe not, not being uh, castrated by the Arabs the pilot who sunk U-boat 533 
for the squadron to be able to claim a submarine kill, was awarded the Distinguished Flying Medal. Ironically, he was also Flight Sergeant Chapman. As I researched the two Bisleys my father helped recover, I kept coming across evidence of many other Bisley crashes around the Middle East at the time. That's when I discovered how despised it was. And it seems incredible that an aircraft known to be so deadly dangerous was in use for so long. But then, this was a war. Risks had to be taken. What did become evident to me was that the young men who took those risks displayed an incredible bravery by flying, and sometimes dying in, the Grizzly Bisley. To find maps, photographs and other material associated with each episode, as well as the complete diary with my research notes, visit the website blightythankgod.co.uk. The diary extracts are read by Ron Chapman's eight grandchildren. He'd be proud of all of them. <laughs>